Hi, everybody. Dean Crisp. Welcome back to Straight Talk on Leadership. What a week it's been. This is the week that the Derek Chauvin case was finally adjudicated. We found out that Derek Chauvin was convicted of three counts of murder, all counts, all charges. I'm going to be talking about that case a little bit in terms of the effect that it's had on law enforcement in terms of the paralyzing effect that it's had on law enforcement, but I'm also going to be talking about the path forward. And I'm joined today with Kelly Corvin. Hope you're going to enjoy it. I think it's going to be a lively discussion. We're going to talk about some things probably other people aren't talking about. We're going to talk about some things that get you to thinking, and I'm going to hopefully talk about some things that move us forward to that path forward to where we're going and where we need to head. So with that, folks, we always say on Straight Talk on Leadership, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, and ready to change your life. Derek Chauvin trial had just told the judge that they have reached a verdict. We're expecting to hear that verdict read between 4.30 and 5 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon, so somewhere around an hour or an hour and a half from now. Right now, we understand the building that houses the courtroom is being cleared of anyone not related to this case. Security, of course, is extremely tight there, and for that matter, in cities across the country. When the verdict is read, we'll bring that to you live here on CNBC. Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict, Count 1. Court File Number 27, CR 20-12646. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to Count 1, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, juror four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above-entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Jury four person 019. Members of the jury, I'm now going to ask you individually if these are your true and correct verdicts. Please respond yes or no. Hi, everybody. Dean Crispin in the studio, joined this week with Kelly Corvin who is the business development coordinator for LHLN. As always, doing a fantastic job. Our schedule is full, and we're all over the country. Just getting back from Boulder, Colorado. Matter of fact, last night, late. But here we are in the studio again producing a podcast. And the reason we do that is because it's important that we think that we get that mind of yours to clicking. We get you to thinking. We get you to 
looking at yourself and taking a hard look at uh, items in uh, on leadership or issues on leadership and how you self-develop and how you do your job as a leader. And we think that's really important. So here we are back in the studio this this uh, afternoon. And it's been a really uh, interesting week with law enforcement. Matter of fact, the week that I uh, would say would be uh, not only culturally changing for law enforcement, for society in general, about the role of police in society. And I think this has been one of those weeks that is, uh, for some people, uh, been really tough. Uh, for some others to be kind of looking at this as like, what do we do next? And where do we go as law enforcement professionals? And, you know, what do we do? And uh, we kind of feel paralyzed, if you will, a little bit. So we're going to we're just going to have a discussion about how this case, why this case has changed us, why we're in such a state, if you will, in terms of law enforcement, how we're slow to react in law enforcement, how we're really slow to change. And, you know, look at some things that we really need to do to move forward in the future. And these are not just things that your agency needs to do. These are things you personally can do that I believe will help you. And, and, and these things are tough. They're not easy. And uh, if they were easy, we wouldn't be talking about them on straight talk on leadership. We always try to talk about things that will help you. And uh, we think this is one discussion that's going to, you know what, just get your brain to moving and get you to thinking. And, and to be honest with you, I want to get your eyes towards the future and look at the future, embrace the future with enthusiasm, not dread. And I think that's one of the things we can do if we just form that pattern right and do it right. So Kelly, good to have you back in the studio. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you very much. You bet. Look forward to it. Be an interesting conversation. Okay. You know, we got a lot going on in uh, LHLN. So I want to tell folks a little bit about what's going on here before we get started and kicked on. Absolutely. I mean, you. I always joke that Dean has become a content king, not just on the podcast, but just about everything else. And we have uh, all three of our live classes scheduled right now. Um, the, new, the next one is in Hampton, New Hampshire. Still have a few seats left up there, May 3rd through the 5th. You're actually going to be teaching virtually for the U.S. Forestry Department right after that. And then um, you go to Wake Forest and uh, Palm Beach for some classes coming up for intentional leadership and then master presenter. Um, all are awesome classes, always really well received. I, we do evaluations on every single one of them. And it's amazing to me that um, they're without fail, very popular classes and would strongly encourage anyone to try to get to one of our live classes. So you can check that out at our website, um, lhln.org. You know, and, and um, I always do I love doing those live classes. The one that was in Boulder, I had, uh, we had 22 or 23 people in the class. And the night I got there, it snowed 10 inches. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I went from 75 degree weather at home to uh, 10 inches of snow. It was a little dreary for sure the next morning, but I'm done shock. with weather. I'm done with the winter. <laughs> I'm done with the winter. I'm telling you no right kidding. now, I'm done with it. I don't care. <laughs> I I'm done you. with it. You folks that live in those nice tropical areas and places that always stay warm. I'm, I'm envious for sure. No but kidding. you know what? I'm in Hartford this week. I'm coming to do a, a yes, special contract right. class with the Hartford PD this upcoming week. Looking forward to seeing all the folks up there and well, talking about absolutely. law enforcement stuff. So, Yeah, no, that's going to be a new one too that you're teaching, transformational leadership during difficult times. So I'm sure a lot of the the things you'll touch on next week will be part of this podcast. And 
also just want to remind everybody, we just wrapped up our first virtual business of leadership class. Huge success. In fact, we already have people asking for it again. So we have scheduled it to start June 4th. Um, and that's a four class series. So don't forget that. Um, that's a great way to interact directly with Dean um, in a coaching slash teaching environment. And you also get the opportunity to hear from, I think one of the most popular aspects of that, Dean, see if you, if you disagree, was not just interacting with you, but actually being able to hear from other professionals around the country. That seemed to be a very popular thing. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So. I mean, we had people from Florida. We had people from Colorado. We had people from New Mexico. We had people from New Mexico. We had people from all over the country in that class. And I thought it was um, really a huge success. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I love the fact of interacting and some of the questions and, and me just being able to coach some people uh, offline, yeah. too. So in that class, we offer people to contact me and and run some ideas or, or suggestions or whatever they want help with. And I was able to help several students during that week. So it was really good. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And uh, that's the week that I generally take off the road. So I'm actually that's teaching. Right. So, and I take off from the road so that I can spend time with the student. So it was really good. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. So let's jump right in. And uh, you know, uh, also, I, you know, one thing that was, uh, pretty cool this week was uh, we were able to be featured on WRAL with in Raleigh talking about the Derek Chauvin case. And well, yes, I was going to bring that up here. You are heading to Boulder on Monday morning and we get a request right away from Amanda Lamb, the reporter up there to have you weigh in on that. So we'll have that video um, up on our website uh, probably over the weekend if anybody wants to watch it. It's a good interview. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. Well, let's get right into the podcast here. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Derek Chauvin case in terms of the immediate impact that that's had on law enforcement. Of course, Derek Chauvin's case is just uh, one of many cases that has literally changed the face of law enforcement. And, uh, you know, there, there are a number of things that have changed law enforcement. So we're going to talk about kind of the impact. And, and, and this is really tough to be right in the middle of a profession and to see a absolute cultural change occur right before your eyes, but not one that slowly comes about, but one that is literally in the eyes of a lot of officers who are working in the job, a forced cultural change for a more compliant mindset to a uh, one of the guardian versus the warrior mindset. And I'm a firm believer, though, that police officers are guardians and warriors. They're not just warriors. You know, I did a, uh, I think 2015 or 16, I did a TED Talk on the warrior versus guardian mindset. So I'm, I've been a long proponent of discussing that cops need to be more guardian-like. But that doesn't mean that cops need to foolishly put their lives in, in jeopardy or the lives of others in jeopardy. And it doesn't mean that cops go out there and just shoot people indiscriminately like a lot of our celebrities would like people to believe that really doesn't occur, but there are incidences that have changed the face of law enforcement over the last, uh, I think it, it's, it's really, if you, if you look at it and, you know, I was able to uh, be a police chief uh, during the Rodney King days. And I actually can remember seeing Rodney King at that point, it was taped with one of those big cameras and it was on VHS and, 
you know, it was literally leaked to the media. And the first time I saw it, but, you know, you got to remember, nobody was releasing police videos back in the days of Rodney King. And so a person who pre body cams too, was, and dash cams. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, that's pre that. everything almost. Yeah. Yeah. It was pre pre everything. And uh, they sent it to the media and the media ran it. And I remember seeing it and I was like, oh, my gosh, I mean, this is not a good look for law enforcement. And not to say what the effects were of Rodney King of those officers. And then they subsequently found them all not guilty in the state court in Los Angeles. And then they were tried by federal court and convicted. And you look at that case and those same type of remedies were going to be offered in the Derek Chauvin case. I am certain had he been found not guilty in the state court, federal civil rights cases would have been filed against him immediately. He would have never seen probably a day on the street again. And, and you know, the verdict, uh, rightfully so, if you look at that case, uh, I don't think any law enforcement officer with any experience can offer any justification for uh, what occurred there. Uh, and, and when you look at that case, if you think about it, but we've really seen a cultural shift occur in my estimations around the year 2014 with the Ferguson case and Michael Brown. That yeah. was when things began to culturally shift in that, like a, uh, t uh, t a tremendous way, if you will, like demands of cultural shift, like right away, like we have got to do a better job. And, you know, whatever you're, if, if you look at the facts of the Ferguson case, uh, the media actually got so far ahead of law enforcement in the fact of presenting the case and the story and law enforcement took so long to respond that the the idea and the thought process of having rogue cops and law enforcement officers not being thoughtful or not really caring about people was put out there so many days before law enforcement really responded that it kind of created this belief in the public that maybe that's the way cops are. And you saw an actual cultural sh change and shift. But there's a lot of reasons for why that occurred. And if you've ever, I, I'm a student of leadership, you know, we, I kind of love being a student of leadership and thought process and how the mind works. And, you know, if you read Daniel Pink's book that was written in 2005 called The Whole New Mind, he talks about in that book how people began to change the way they saw things and how people change the way they think. And to make it really quick, not to make this a podcast about Daniel Pink's book, but he states in there through research that you think with the left and the right side of your brain, but you use your whole brain to think. And when you use the left side to predominantly see something, that's that right side that the concrete sequential side that literally sees things linearly. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, in a process, you right. see things like, you know, one plus one equals two, stuff like that. But then when you think with the right side of your brain, you tend to see things holistically. You see the bigger picture of why one plus one equals two, you know, and stuff like right. that. Let's take a short break from the show and we'll be right back. Hey, Straight Talk listeners, this is Kelly Corvin and I want to ask you a question. Do you know your why of leadership? Have you thought about it? 
Well, when you take one of Dean's live classes, whether it be intentional leadership, master leadership, or his warrior guardian class, you're going to ask and answer that question for yourself. That's what's different about a Dean Crisp class. Make sure that you take one this year. It will take your leadership to the next level, guaranteed. Learn more about each one of our live classes, as well as our virtual and e-courses at www.lhln.org. Hey guys and gals, I just wanted to take a quick minute to thank all of you for listening to the podcast and buying Dean's new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. Dean became and still is Amazon's bestseller in management sciences. We are so thankful for your support and will continue to strive to make lives better. If you haven't purchased Dean's book, you can go to our website and find the link on our homepage, www.lhln.org, or search it on your favorite retail provider. We could not do this without you. Now, back to the episode. But what really happens, though, is, is that when you think linearly, according to Pink, in his research, that you linearly, when you think that way, you disconnect emotionally. So in other words, you don't have an emotional connectivity to whatever you're seeing. Police officers see that a lot across the country because it's like when you see a body or you go up on a, a bad wreck, you, in most cases, you're thinking linearly because you're doing your job. You're going step by step by step. And you don't connect right. emotionally to the victim. But now uh, when you think holistically, what happens is, is you begin to start seeing the victim. You start seeing the emotional connectivity to it. And he says that all changed around the year 2000. And what you've actually had occur is you've almost had 14 years where people have been thinking much more holistically. And two reasons that occur is one is an abundance mindset where people have pretty much what they want, which makes them think about not surviving, but colors like the color of your phone. Like I I can remember my my first pager. I had a pager back in the day, you know, and here's the, Kind of funny to think, man, I thought I was the coolest cop on the planet because I had a pager, you know, because back mm-hmm. then only doctors had pagers. And I remember walking oh, I around know. as a detective yeah. with a, I remember walking around as a detective, you know, with a pager thinking, oh, my God, I want people to see this. I didn't care if you saw my gun, but I wanted you to see my pager. Well, and you know, and it's it's so, so interesting. You Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No. And, and just uh, so when a person thinks very linearly, they have a tendency to kind of mute that emotional connectivity. But by the other hand, uh, technology is the other thing that has changed the way people think, because now you can instantaneously see the world just on your cell phone. And when you do that, you connect emotionally to what you see because you feel like you're there. Like, you know, you can hear about hunger in another country. You can hear about somebody getting run over in another country. But when you actually see it, you know, you have a connectivity to it. You're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And so mm-hmm. when people begin to think like that, they tend to connect emotionally. So Michael Brown was the first time. Now, this is, you know, I always say this in classes. I want people to have an aha, bam, kaboom moment. And the aha is kind of when you get information. The bam is when you take action. And the kabooms when you actually are changed. And this is a kaboom moment for law enforcement. Because it was one of the first times that we actually saw a person that was shot by a police officer as a victim. Because prior to that, we had believed that when a person is shot by a police officer, that 
for some somewhere or another, they may have deserved it. And they did something that actually caused the officer to shoot them or pull the gun. Right. And so when, when you think that, that's that linear thought process. Okay, cops are being procedurally just. They're doing what they should do. And then all of a sudden they fire a gun. You're thinking, okay, well, let's give the cop the benefit of the doubt. Well, in the Michael Brown case, the victimization of Michael Brown took hold and the law enforcement did not respond. So they, they made this um, narrative up about Michael Brown, whether you believe or not what his character is prior to that, he did have a record, but the media made him out to be just simply a 18 year old kid that was uh, brutally gunned down by a police officer and he was unarmed. And when that happened, uh, the law enforcement didn't come out and say, well, look, there was actually blood in the car. There was a life and death struggle. Michael Brown's six foot four. He actually tried to drag the police officer through the car. I mean, you didn't hear any of that until no. post several weeks. And what happened was, was people in their own mindset created this holistic connection to Michael Brown, which created an emotional connection to Michael Brown. So if you look at that case and, and prior to that was the Laquan McDonald case in Chicago, but that video wasn't released till nine months later. And so when you look at those events that occur like that, now you see the narrative that police officers are uh, maliciously hunting down uh, African-Americans and, and shooting them. And then that narrative taking hold. And one of the interesting thing is you, you have this in your brain uh, called cognitive dissonance. Yes. And cognitive dissonance is that, your brain can't have two competing thought processes. One will win out. Right. And it's like, let's, let's say, for example, if I were to go buy a car and I chose a Ford over a Chevy, well, now I'm literally going to look and every car I see on the road is going to be a Ford truck or whatever. A car Correct. Yes. It's mm -hmm. going to look just like it's going to look just like the one I bought because right. that confirms my thought process. And then I'm going to convince everybody that the car I bought was a smart move. And I might even ask you what kind of car you got. And then, right. you know, going from there. So that validation. When, and, and, yeah. yeah you, and you get that validation. So what happened was, was you had all these people talking about, well, not only was that a bad case, Michael Brown's case was bad. All these other things have happened in law enforcement, which creates this bad thought process, if you will. And law enforcement was slow to respond to any of well, that and at the time. That's what I was going to ask is, you know, I think that almost what was happening, you had like the first iPhone was released somewhere in the summer of 2007. Um, you have a very pivotal presidential election that takes place in 2008. Um, and then this kind of thing happens, you know, a few years later, I think it's in the second term, actually, of the Obama administration. But one of the things that's fascinating is you have there's that time period that it takes place where you have all this technology change converging with really a profession that's still probably at that time in a very traditional kind of focus and mindset, you know, to where we don't really want to say too much. You know, there there's just a tradition there, isn't there, that was built into how police would typically respond to anything like that. And so it, my point is, and I want you to speak to this. Don't you think that they kind of got behind the eight ball because they weren't staying up with not only the 24 hour news cycle that was well in, in, in swing at that point, 
but you had um, a convergence of um, some social groups that had developed such as Black Lives Matter, um, and then all of this technology thing where it was readily available for people to see what was going on. And so they're making their own judgments about it. And in the meantime, police is not weighing in on it until long after the the die has been cast, if you will. Well, Black Lives Matter was not a, uh, a they were not, that Michael Brown's case created Black Lives Matter. Yes, that's correct. So they correct. weren't up and running by then, but they were driving I mean, after that, they certainly drove the, yes. some of the forces of that. But but what you actually see in law enforcement, and you see this in a lot of professions, particularly governmental professions, is that change is driven by, uh, if you will, disaster or force or it's, yes, it's crisis events. drives change. Mm-hmm. And crisis drives, um, you know, crisis drives change. And prior to that, law enforcement officers were given the uh, they were given the wherewithal to respond in time based upon fact. So in other words, if they would wait to discuss a case till they found out all the facts and then they would deliver those in almost like a post-mortem kind of, uh, you know, conversation with the public. And I, I guess the best way to describe it now is, is that there is no doctor on the planet who is doing a major surgery on any patient who is not communicating during that process with the family. So in other words, if you go to the hospital now and you're going to have some kind of major event, it's going to take several hours, which, you know, I, I, I'm not a medical professional, but I know that that, you know, those are tough events and they certainly try to have not as many as those as they used to have. But if you're going to have, let's say open heart surgery and it's going to last four Mm -hmm. hours, Listen, you literally have a liaison in the operating room talking to the patient's family in real time. They're literally saying, okay, we're getting ready to go in now. Everybody's doing fine. Everything's fine. Da, 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 da. And then you'll get another update. Okay, the doctor's got this done. And then he's here and the patient, you're, you know, your, your husband, wife, son, whatever, doing okay. You, you actually get a play-by-play of what's going on. And the yes. reason that is, is because there's emotional connectivity and, and the doctors realize now that you have to stay emotionally connected to the family of the patient. Well, you don't want this postmortem to come out and say he didn't make it. You know, right. th- they need to know they need to know the problem. And, and we're all. And, if, and another thing you see with that is that and I know a lot of you uh, veterans out there, you'll cringe when I tell you this, but uh, most boot camps for the military now allow the kids to call home at certain times yeah, and talk to mom yeah. and dad. And I mean, I think the United States Marine Corps even has a website where you can actually uh, see the schedule of what your kid's going through and you know, all this. Why? Because they know that they literally are not just drafting or just got the kid in the military, the whole family's military. So when you look at that law enforcement, uh, we fail to recognize that people don't want a postmortem. They want a absolute update immediately to the facts that you know, right? Because when you talk about technology and you talk about abundance mindset that Daniel Pink talks about, it creates an immediate emotional connection. And what that does is it's interesting that when a video or an event occurs, that you actually begin forming your mindset on how that is either justified or not, how either that's good or bad or not, 
how that's tragic or not. And the second you see it with your eyes, your brain starts telling you what you're seeing. And so yes. you want to have answers immediately to what your brain is actually formulating. So you have to report, you have to understand that the second that your brain, and it's funny how the brain is driven by the limbic system, which is that center of your brain, if you will, the neocortex, the outside, and then you got the base of your brain. Now I'm not a damn brain surgeon and I'm not someone who is trying to you know be that, but I, I do want people to understand how we think. And when you look at Michael Brown, it was one of the first times that people started to believe that cops might not be justified in their shooting. Yeah. And then you have this narrative on top of that where people start adding other cases on top of that. And then before you know it, you got this flood of discontent and then people actually witnessing that and people start with the cognitive dissonance of saying, I told you that's the way it was. Let me give you my story. And so when you have that congruence of all those things, it gets really like a tidal wave that starts to sweep over law enforcement, if you will. And yes. so law enforcement is really slow to respond. And, and it's because by nature, we are a reactive uh, entity. We yeah. wait till things occur before we react. We are not by nature a proactive uh, agency or a proactive profession. Uh, we wait. Now, it's like if you look at medicine, and, and, and let's look at medicine paralleling to law enforcement. One of the major shifts in medicine is having those examinations, eating right, taking care of yourself, pre-crisis, you know, kind of thing. But it's hard to do Intervention, that yeah. with crime. Yeah, it's hard to do with crime. Well, it's but, hard to do I with mean, things that you... are, not, are less predictable. How would you distinguish that with the community policing endeavors and all of the those type of activities that have been big movements um, within the law enforcement community? How does that differ? Wouldn't that be a, a type of proactive move on the part of law enforcement? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It was definitely a proactive move on the top on the part of law enforcement. But what happened? The second the federal dollars left, people started abandoning those programs yeah uh, the cops if you look around if you look out. around when you look at the if you look around the country right now very few places have uh co you know community or policing units and i mean they'll have some form of that and it's kind of developed and morphed into something else where it may be a community action team it may be a community interaction unit it may be whatever SROs are, are a result of community-oriented policing. Yeah. Uh, where we're able to put police officers into the school system and, you know, all those things. But, yeah, we, we, we got a little proactive, but dollars always drive that. But you got to understand, yeah. after Michael Brown's case, or even prior to that, there weren't any dollars. Yeah. And in law enforcement, you look at it, uh, we didn't realize that the way people think was going to change us so much. And then we began to get this narrative. We, we were in a post 2000 and, uh, you know, 9-11. Uh, we were in a 9-11 yes. kind of uh, enjoying the, the, the fruits. Well, we were enjoying the fruits of 9-11. We were enjoying the, you know, the that everybody thought cops were great. And, you know, we were returning to the fact that people were having posters and thanking cops. And, you know, that 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 kind of had an impact on us for a number of years of us believing we were doing a pretty good job. 
and and then we were still having these events and so one of the things i always caution chiefs is i always say to them when you get a good headline don't believe it you know be very cautionary and believe in your own news clippings when people saying you're doing a great job you better look around because things are going to change on you really quickly you know and 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 back to the point of this is that thank you for listening to straight talk on leadership with dean crisp make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode You can go to www.lhln.org to find upcoming classes where you can book Dean for his new class. And you can also check out his new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.